We are back here once again on the Fueled by Passion podcast. My name is John Archibald from Resolution Promotions. On the show today, it is my pleasure to have uh, Ken Mastroli, who is uh, someone whom when I first began my uh, my professional career, I was involved in uh, arena football out the, out the gate, and uh, Ken was actually the quarterback of the team that supplied me with a, with a championship in my first uh, ever go at it in pro sports. Uh, I'm indebted to, indebted to you for that, Kenny, but um, go ahead and um, you know, uh, introduce yourself a little bit to the people out there and you know, let them uh, know how everything's been going in your life. I appreciate you having me on. So, Ken Mastroli, and uh, you know, I've just been doing quarterback training, obviously on the private coaching side for the last um, 10 years. Started this company 10 years ago before the big boom of quarterback coaching and everybody kind of needing a trainer. And just kind of fell into it, just worked with a few guys. Um, got a kind of a crazy background from professional football to construction to construction management building custom homes and um you know really just doing this full time so it's been a been a blessing and um trained a lot of good guys along the way for sure and we'll definitely be uh touching on that some of the names that uh that kenny's worked with through uh his passing academy but uh but kind of the way we like to start things here kenny is if someone was reading a book about you and they opened up the book on page one of that book you know where the story all begins for you, where does your personal story begin? Yeah, I think it's just really just growing up and, and being a kid in South Florida that hey, you're always outside. It's always outdoors. The, um, the weather's always great. You can do sports year round, 365 days a year. And I kind of grew up just really wanting to be a baseball player. I mean, I got into baseball, dabbled in it. You know, my dream was funny. It was to play for the New York Mets, and um, I just never really thought about football much. It kind of followed the Dolphins, San Marino, and one day a, a high school quarterback. I I didn't play like tackle football. I played flag football, right? And, and one day I'll never forget. We were in uh, North Carolina on a family vacation, and the head coach for the high school was there, and he saw me throwing around a football, and um, he just said, "You know what? You're going to come to Cardinal Gibbons High School, and you're going to be the quarterback one day at our high school." And this was probably when I was in sixth, seventh grade, and you know, I didn't, I didn't, like I said, I didn't know much. So the first couple of years was such a learning experience. I mean, from simply just putting pads on to wearing a helmet to feeling comfortable in a helmet and um, having a mouthpiece. I mean, the littlest, craziest stuff that you would ever think of that people nowadays would be like, they don't even think about that. Um, I had to learn all the nuances of the game. So kids that start high school now, you, you would think they are light years away from being a successful football player because they don't have all the fundamentals. They don't know the game, the ins and outs, the taking a snap, and, and everything that goes into the game. So uh, I went to high school. I wasn't very good my freshman, sophomore year. I mean, I was I was really struggling. I was a, wasn't a big kid, uh, really, really shy, didn't have a lot of command, and then, um, you know, kind of just stuck with it. Got with a trainer, not a quarterback coach, but someone that helped me on increase my speed to get better, faster, right. and um, really took off junior to senior year. Had a had an opportunity, beat out a guy that was an all-county um, selection the year before, was a really good varsity player coming back for a senior year. Uh, he got a little distracted with some other things, and um, 
ended up beating him out. And uh, kind of ever since then, I just took off, grew three inches going into my senior year, became one of the top recruits in the country. I think before they they had all these rankings, we had the Athlon sports. So they, you were either a blue chip All-American, blue chipper, or you were just average Joe. Right. And uh, found myself into a top ten ranking. I was a 10th rated quarterback, I guess, coming out of high school and some publications, Athlon and a couple other sports that, that did the, uh, the publication. Ended up choosing Maryland, had a few scholarship offers to a number of schools, Miami, uh, Clemson, Duke, Virginia Tech, uh, shoot, a lot of schools around the ACC, some SEC schools. Picked Maryland, thought I'd play early, which I did. And I'll tell you, I went to school there, and, and I didn't know much about football at all. I was archaic, cavemanish from a football standpoint, because I just never learned the game. I didn't have somebody to teach me. And quite frankly, I just was one of those kids that just, I, we didn't have everything at our disposal, YouTube and the things that you could learn. Right. So what I did know is I just went out and played football, played catch. Um, I had kind of a rocky kind of up-and-down career. Started my freshman year, which was redshirt freshman year, second year. It just kind of had a roller coaster of a college career. Transferred to Rhode Island my last year after being a two-year starter at Maryland. And um, after that, you know, kind of worked hard, got an opportunity in the NFL with the Bears, had a cup of coffee, which was a short time. <laughs> Went to NFL Europe, played there, and um, then found myself later on about in the Arena League. Uh, started off playing a couple of Arena 1 teams, and then ultimately kind of finished my career at Arena 2, which was a smaller developmental league, and I think we had 32 teams at the time. Ended up, ended up playing there. We won a championship. It was pretty awesome. To, to win a championship in every, anything is really difficult. Right. Was able to do it there and then transitioned over to the offensive coordinator. So I've kind of had that Kurt Warner path where I was all over the place. And um, trying not to make this long and boring as I am. But I uh, was the OC there, and we had a, we had a super explosive offense, and it was a lot of fun because you had a veteran quarterback and three guys that had played that were really good. So it was really just like going out there and just playing basketball on a court with far superior players. We were just dominating teams offensively. Um, enjoyed it, but got a little bored with it, stepped away. Uh, at that time, because we were making such little money, and I was making $250 a week as a player, and then as a coach, you're making about $10,000 a year, I got into... Um, and, to specify got into that, and to specify that, uh, Kenny, for anybody who didn't know, it was 200 for the game, $50 bonus, $50 bonus for a win. So the, the 250 yeah. wasn't even guaranteed. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So going from this, I mean, picture this. You're going from signing an NFL contract with Chicago Bears, and at the time it was $400,000 was what I had signed for. Now, I didn't get $400,000, but to go from a contract that says 400000 all the way to, hey, we're signing you a contract at $200 was almost like the money stipend you would get on an away game. I think I got more money on an away game in preseason with the Bears when we went to play St. Louis and some of these other teams than I got in a week, right? That was stipend. That was just to cover my meals right, that right. I got in the arena football league to live off of. So that was an interesting experience living in the double tree hotel, uh, <laughs> crushing their cookies and eating Chinese food every week was, uh, was really strange. <laughs> so anyway, so I ended up coaching and, um, I got into that. And then when I got done, a, a buddy of mine got me into to coaching. He said, you should try to just work with some quarterbacks, maybe help out a little bit. And I, I started with one kid, enjoyed it. So I was making, $40 cash to go work with this kid. And I'm driving about 20 minutes to go work with him. And I kind of thought, all right, I'm doing construction. I'm keeping my passion alive. I tried it a little bit more. I started growing it. And, and I said to myself, one day I'd love to walk away from 
just do my own thing, be my own boss and not work for the man. So I worked for a custom homes company for eight years uh, in Naples, and we were building mega custom homes. And it was kind of similar to football. They put me in there building my first home to build. And I had a little experience with my father-in-law now, who I was dating my wife at the time, but I had a little experience in custom homes, but I didn't know that much. And I had a football sports background. So the first home they put me on was literally 8,000 square feet, and it was in one of the wealthiest areas in Florida. And the house was probably valued at about 4 and a half to $5 million. Wow. And let me tell you something. If I could have jacked that thing up anymore in terms of some of the things that we were doing. Now, the finished product came out great, but you want to talk about learning by just <laughs> baptism by fire and being thrown out there to the wolves. Right. I mean, I was making a lot of mistakes where a lot of people were going to get fired, but the industry and construction was so busy they couldn't find bodies to, to build homes. So I was a superintendent. I built that. Anyways, eight years later, I stepped away. I built my company up. I'd worked with a number of guys, and I've been doing it full-time ever since. So I've really been fortunate. I've had... Uh, I've got 23 guys that I've trained in the NFL now. Um, we've been, I've been through seven. This is going on my eighth NFL draft. Um, I've had seven years of guys at the Senior Bowl, at the NFL Combine. So the Senior Bowl is the top, um, you know, the tops, the showcase. top uh, event at the end of the year, showcase for for college seniors to play in. And um, it's really been great ever since, so I've made a lot of connections. I've trained a lot of great guys, and, I, and I've been able to do this full-time as a business. So I, I would say in my book at the end or the beginning is um, you may have a passion for one thing, but you never know what road leads you down to really what you're really, really, I believe I'm good at. And I've had, and, and the reason I think I'm good at this is because I love what I do, and I'm super passionate about it. And I think you have to have that in anything that you do in life. There's guys that make, I've seen make a ton of money and they're really good at it, but they're absolutely miserable at what they do. But right. the byproduct is they live a nice life. Um, with this, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a good living. It's a comfortable living, but I'm getting to do something that I'm really fortunate and really able to just kind of grow and do my own thing. And that's kind of, I guess, life story for me. Absolutely. And to, to kind of touch back on uh, a couple of things that you brought up, Ken, um, in particular, uh, talk a little bit, like you said, you referred to it as a cup of coffee with the NFL, but the fact of the matter is you were still in the NFL. And even beyond that, if you could kind of touch on your experience in NFL Europe and just um, for those yeah. people who don't know that, you know, what the NFL Europe was and you kind of talk about the experience of playing in front of, you know, these stadiums in front of people probably for the most part weren't too sure what they were watching. Yeah, no, it was awesome. I mean, so basically, like, I was, you know, I played, so I played ACC football at the time. Maryland's now in the Big Ten. But um, I played and, you know, playing in front of Clemson and Florida State and playing in front of eighty to 100,000 fans was awesome. I mean, the, highest, the biggest crowds we had in high school, on average, we'd have about 1,000, maybe 500 at times on, you know, during the day. And then you get maybe in the playoffs and you play in front of three, 4,000. So to go from that to 80,000, you know, it was a big transition, but – to me, I was able to always block that out. Um, when I signed with the Bears, it was an interesting story. I actually flew up the night before September 11th, wow. and um, I was in the hotel room. I was getting up in the next morning. And I'm a free agent, right? This is after the draft. I fly up to the Bears, and um, my uncle is a, was, a, at the time, uh, one of the lead officers uh, in the police department for the Port Authority Police. So he was actually supposed to be in the World Trade Center. He was on his way there 
when that whole event happened. So you can kind of wow. think like I knew he was part of that. I was a little bit worried about him. So I'm kind of, I'm watching this take place on TV because I'm waking up to go work out for Chicago. Right. And I'm thinking to myself, well, you know, what can I do? I mean, thank God I didn't have any family members in it, but I was able to go work out for the bears. And the, the crazy kind of part about it is they shut the airport down. I can't remember if it was for two days or three days, right? People weren't flying out for at least two days. Right. Cause I remember after the workout, they didn't say if they were going to sign me or not. So I was stuck in this hotel. I had nothing to do just kind of sitting around and you're going, I don't know what, I, I don't know what's going on. I, I don't know if they're, if they like me, I don't know if they're signing me. So all of a sudden I fly home and we're one of the first flights out and you can tell, I mean, it was kind of a nerve wracking time. I mean, sure. I've flown all over the place, but I get back and about two days later, uh, the general manager calls me and says, you know, congratulations. We want to fly up. We're going to sign you. So I was fired up. So I signed with the bears. This is them going into the end of the year. They played the Eagles in the, uh, and I think it was the NFC championship. Jim Miller was the quarterback, a train, Anthony Thomas, who played at Michigan was a running back. Right. And uh, they go in and they play and they lose to Donovan McNabb. And at that time, I think Donovan McNabb went to the Super Bowl and they lost to the Patriots that year. So this is going back, you know, quite a bit away. So I sign next year. I go to I go to camp. They got five quarterbacks in the room, and we go through OTAs. They cut the other two guys, and I'm competing now for um, I'm competing for the third job. They bring another guy in, Henry Burris, who came from the Packers. And he's been, uh, he's been a very well-known guy in the Canadian Football League. Made, right. Just retired but made a great career out of it. Mm-hmm. So I go in there, and I feel like I played better than him, and I, and I thought statistically I beat him out. And um, they ended up keeping him. They cut me. But it was an incredible experience. I mean, the relationships I forged, uh, the coaching staff, some of the guys that I met. Um, and, and, again, those relationships have really helped me to – flourish in my coaching career as a private quarterback coach because I've kept those relationships over the years and it's hard to do that when you're at camp for such a short time and I played so my my best success story was just kind of playing in preseason and beating the Rams on national TV um, in the fourth quarter throwing a touchdown to win it and you know it's preseason but Chicago has so much history it's not like unfortunately playing for the Dolphins or playing for a team like, um, you know, down south, teams aren't, you know, there's not as much tradition, right. even though the Dolphins have been historically, I mean, people live and die by Bears football, Giants football, uh, Packers. I mean, everybody knows that, right? So been around um, it became, yeah, and it became like really cool, like media-wise, and it just, what I was kind of classified was that blue collar, come from nowhere, show that you can make it, when the, you know, when everything's stacked against you. And uh, that was kind of a cool experience. So what happened was the Bears actually allocated me, which means they just basically said, okay, we get five to seven guys, and each NFL team got this, and we're going to send you to NFL Europe, and you're going to play for one of, I think it was five teams in the league. So you have to think, there's probably about 70 guys per team, right? And they're allocating, there's 32 teams, and they're allocating, I think there was a minimum of maybe seven guys this year. Maybe there was a little bit more. But uh, they sent me over, uh, they allocated me to Amsterdam, and the Amsterdam Admirals, and they were famous for Kurt Warner playing for them. Right. Uh, I spent three months in Amsterdam. It was an awesome experience. It was basically like having a paid vacation in NFL in Europe, and we would travel to play German teams, and we would put, travel to Barcelona, um, and then we would travel to England or Scotland to play the Scottish Claymores. And... Um, and um, the fans over there were awesome. I mean, like 
you would never think that they were just like, you thought they were soccer fans. We were playing mostly in soccer stadiums, but some places we would get forty to 50,000 fans, wow. and they'd be blowing horns and screaming and yelling and rooting <laughs> for the teams and have chants, and I'll tell you, it was, uh, it was really cool because you just would never think that they would gravitate or accept American football um, because of soccer and rugby and things that are so fast-paced, there's no start and stop, but they really became accustomed to, and, and, and I think there was a lot of like energy and excitement during that time when we played there. So that was, a, that was really a great experience, and you're playing against top-flight guys. I mean, almost like guys that went on. My roommate, one of my, one of my teammates, Paris Lennon, who played at Richmond, played I think it was 13 or 14 years in the NFL, uh, played for the Arizona Cardinals. So there were a number of guys that played and had long-term careers in the uh, in NFL Europe. And it was really, really, like just like I said, a great experience. And, again, it all boiled down to connections as well that has helped me today to coach. And that's kind of what, what was so special about that. Absolutely. And then uh, beyond that, once you finished up with NFL Europe, is when you decided to enter into the arena game and um, – of course, played in Arena One, and I can remember when I first uh, took the job as the PR director with the Florida Firecats. I remember um, the GM of the team really firing you up on the phone three, four times a day and doing everything he could to try to convince you to come and uh, play for the Firecats for one more season, uh, which ultimately you ended up doing. And um, kind of walk people through that season. You know, me, my first thing, first you know, gig out the gate, you know, from college and. You know, we had so many things we went through that year from, you know, the, the loss of Dunstan to, you know, Hurricane Charlie, you know, ravaging the entire area to eventually winning a championship on our home turf. But talk a little bit about that experience and, um, you know, the true just kind of story and journey of that year that, um, you know, luckily ended up you know, on such a high note. Yeah, people don't really appreciate it unless you've really experienced like Arena 2 football and you play because – you know, the league was the league was good. At the time we had I think we had thirty teams, twenty eight to thirty two teams, somewhere in that range, and um I think it was a really, really good time because um there were a lot of quality players. There were players getting signed to the NFL from there, not many, maybe four or five during the year, an opportunity in a camp. Um so Chris Velazzi was the general manager there and um we were able to play. It's a it's a small town market, and Astero, Florida, has been known more for like winter midwesterners. So the Everblades play hockey out of there, and they they've always had a great crowd down there. And um, we obviously played in the same arena, and just kind of going over to Astero, I I didn't know much about it. My family had vacation in like once or twice in our lives, and maybe Marco Island or Sanibel, and. Um, you know, Asteros kind of smack dab in the middle of those two. Right. And I remember traveling over there going, this is like in the middle of nowhere of Florida. <laughs> and, uh, you know, getting over there and kind of playing with these guys, a lot of guys are just kind of living the dream of like, they're, they think they're better than they are. And, you know, they don't really want to accept the fact that they're playing for $200 a week with a $50 win bonus <laughs> where, you know, it really tests kind of your love of the game. So when I got over there, I was just kind of excited to just, keep playing football and just you know i wanted to prove myself so i was really like i was in the stage of like any time any place hey you want to strap it up and go and play you know in the middle of a field somewhere and give me an opportunity to prove myself i was all for it so i got over there and um obviously i had played a little bit with them the year before or i think it was two years ago and, and i had a familiarity with ben bennett 
And, um, you know, that was the year that I said to myself, this is it. I just want to play and I want to go win. So what I did was I went to training camp with the team. Like, the, there are a couple weeks, so you go, you live in the hotel, you get settled in. And, um, you know, the years before I kind of popped in during midseason because I was playing Arena One football, and it just wasn't the same. So I said, this year I want to go and I want to I want to be all in. I'm going to put everything I can, and I'm just going to cut loose and play. So we went in, and I had Magic Benton, who had played for the Miami Hurricanes. He'd spent a couple of years there. Um, uh, Brandon um, Burns or Brent Burnside, who had played like eight nine years in the league, right, playing in this thing every year. He was there. I mean, we had a lot of different guys that were playing, right, and. Um, you know, just went in there. I mean, we had at one point, if people are familiar with, uh, he's a wrestler now, and I'm trying to draw a blank on his name. I want to say he played with us, but um, how it'll come to me. But anyways, there was a wrestler that had played for us. Thaddeus Bullard was his name, and he goes by a different name now, uh, Titus O'Neill. So he was even on our team for a short time. And, uh, you know, it was a cool. it was kind of an interesting year because we bonded really well. And, and where we bonded, what you reflected on, was we had a kid named Dunstan Anderson that played – and Dunstan was kind of a – he towed the line of, like, real edgy, kind of trouble, like had kind of a little bit of a rough background, but a great football player. And uh, obviously he got, got killed one day in a, in a horrific car accident right by the arena. Um, don't know all the details, but flipped his vehicle uh, maybe a mile from the arena and uh, got the news and it was really upsetting, you know, that your teammate – you lose a teammate midseason. And I don't care what league you're in, NFL, high school – you know, Pop Warner, anytime you lose a teammate that you're out there kind of blood, sweat, and tears and all trying to reach the same goal, it's tough. And uh, I think that kind of united us. And people put aside kind of their differences or it didn't matter about money or where you were from. And we just tried to kind of come together and go on a run. We all kind of worked towards that goal. And I think it was really cool because we ended up going on a stretch where we weren't the favorite that year. There was a team uh, out of Pennsylvania that had a stud lineup. It's funny because I think that year uh, one of the guys that were involved in that team was Will McClay. And Will McClay, who is now one of the personnel directors or the key personnel directors for the Dallas Cowboys, was directly involved with that team. I don't know if he was the head coach or he was involved with that team or had something to do with it. But we ended up going up there, and that was the team we had to go through, and we beat the heck out of him. We weren't even favored to win. So we go in, we win that game, and we go and we win the championship. Uh, and it was just a really, really cool opportunity and feeling. And you couldn't tell me if we won the Super Bowl, the national championship, or a high school, <laughs> you know, the high school state championship. It was just awesome to just accomplish something with a group of guys and go on that kind of journey. Because for those people that don't know anything about the arena, too, like I said, you're traveling on buses like greyhounds almost, and you're going 10 to 14 hours and you're making very little money, and you're just really like saying, man, I love the game. It's almost like playing that single-A or triple-A baseball, and you're just trying to make it to the majors, and you're all kind of the same goal. You don't know where your life's going right now. You're at that age where you're like, i got to start making some real money, but I don't want to let up this dream. And uh, you know, to be able to do that just for a second, and kind of you didn't think about anything else but the guys you were with and winning that, winning that old opportunity. And I'm not going to lie, Ken, you kind of blew my mind a little bit with the uh, Thaddeus Bullard statement. Thaddeus came in, I believe it was the year after I was there. It was, it was after the championship year, maybe at the end of that year. But I had no idea that 
he and Titus O'Neil were the same person. So that's pretty crazy. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, because I get the timeline kind of messed up. I couldn't remember if he if I had coached there during that year because the year after I had won that we had won the championship. I got into the coaching side. Kevin, uh, a guy named Kevin Bowie, who's now out of football, um, asked me to be the OC, and I couldn't remember. And I'm like, I I saw him on TV, and I go, I can't believe how big of a name he is all of a sudden. So that's kind of cool. You just never know the people that you're around and what they end up accomplishing. Yeah, absolutely. And um, and as you mentioned, um, you know, post playing career, um, you know, finishing on the highest of notes with uh, you know winning a championship. Um, when you made the decision, when Kevin Bowie had asked you to come back uh, to coaching and talk a little bit about, uh, you, you know, your experience of coaching in the league and then the transition that went, um, you know, beyond coaching to which ultimately is when you started up your own academy. So what's crazy is, and I never said this before, but what was probably not the right way to go about it, and I couldn't, you couldn't do this at like the NFL level or the collegiate level, but you got to think I was making – he asked me to come on. I was making $10,000 coaching Arena 2 football, right, and putting in four days a week, and you're putting three, four hours in a day, uh, which doesn't seem like a lot, but, you know, you're, you're there, and you're cause there's not a lot of game planning to do. You're watching film at home of the next opponent, but Arena football is simple. Just put the guys in the best position to succeed and watch, watch film, but it's not like I have to worry about – blitzing and protections and all this other stuff. There's some schemes, there's some things you can do schematically, but it's not way over the top. So I'm working for my father-in-law at the time. And to be honest, it was the best thing ever because it kind of gave me the attitude, which, you know, I didn't want people to take the wrong way, but deep down I was like, I don't really care kind of attitude. Like if I lose my job, so I coached like I didn't have any pressure on me. I'm just going to go call plays. I'm going to have fun. And I'll tell you, it was the best thing I ever did because I called games not on the fear of trying to lose and get fired. I called with an aggressive approach, and it was it was just the best thing for our team. I think it was the best thing for our offense, and no doubt we had good players. So that year I had a quarterback who would have set the record, but another quarterback threw equal amount. So Chris Wallace threw 101 touchdowns that year. That was a record in the Arena League. And um, I think we had three 1,000-yard receivers. And it was just an attitude of, like, we're going to go attack, we're going to go be aggressive, but I'm going to game plan it the right way and put the guys in the best position to succeed. And the things that helped me was what I learned at the Arena One level. So we were running some plays that were screwing some teams up systematically. Because you can either play, you know, it's like out there for you. You can either play man or zone. And you, can, you can't do a whole lot, but you can do some things to really screw them up when you get in around the goal line. And that's what we were doing. So we were scoring a lot of points. Um, I enjoyed it because, you know, I, I, I being a competitive person and when you when you get around people that are competitive and you've done something your whole life, whether it's in the military and everything's kind of regimented, you're on a time clock, you're Eating, you're doing something for a common goal and a team atmosphere, it's hard to step away from that. So the coaching kind of fulfilled that competition slash team locker room, being around the guys, still that camaraderie. Scratch uh, that, that itch of, for you. That kind of filled that void. And, the, and yeah, that, it scratched that itch for me. Um, and that's kind of like, you know, the experience was awesome, three years. But at the end of three years, I could tell I was kind of getting – a little bit ready to move on, a little bit burned out with the team. And, and I said to myself, 
I don't want to make a career in the arena league coaching or being a head coach. I just, the money wasn't what it, what I wanted it to be at. And, and quite frankly, I don't think it just aligned with kind of my goals in terms of family and what I wanted to do uh, with my life. So I kind of stepped away from the game. And that's when I got into the, the quarterback coaching side of it. And talk a little bit about the, some of the initial players that you worked with, with the Academy and, you know, of course, when you first started the Academy, you're, you're still working with your father-in-law uh, in the construction industry and kind of talk about how establishing the Academy and to how now, you know, these number of years later, it's really blossomed into something, as you mentioned, has put numerous players into the NFL. Yeah, so, I mean, I started out and, uh, like I said, I coached a kid. It was like $40. I'm driving 20 to 30 minutes to go coach him. I'm just doing it to kind of feel it out. I'm doing what most people were doing in the past. I was setting up cones, creating footwork drills. Uh, mechanically, I knew what was right from wrong just from playing and feel. Like I did, a, I think I've always had a good idea and understanding of how a movement should work without having that biomechanics in the past, um, you know, background and kinesiology and, and, and that. Because I went to school and I was an economics major. So I started working with kids. I started seeing things, doing a lot of video analysis. And then you just kind of refine and, and retool and keep coming up with new ideas and how to challenge. Um, I got an opportunity through a company that does combine-specific training. So there's facilities around the country that college guys leave after four or five years of college, sometimes three years of college, and they go work out with a trainer, and they work on becoming – more explosive, faster, ready for the NFL combine. And um, quarterback coaches were kind of starting to pop up, but there weren't a ton. So I had an opportunity to work with E.J. Manuel. I didn't have a big resume. Like, I had worked with a bunch of guys, no pro guys. But this was the first guy that was a potential third-round to fifth-round draft choice coming from Florida State. He was a very successful player at Florida State. So E.J. and I worked together, and – you know, in, incorporating a lot of things. I'm doing the mechanics. I'm doing the mental preparation, the X's and O's. So I'm teaching them things that I had learned at the NFL level and then things that I had kind of outsourced from guys that had played. Teaching them on interview prep and how to approach meetings. And he was a good kid and, and had a great presence about him. So the great part is EJ had the biggest rise in draft history. He was a projected third to fifth rounder. And he jumps all the way into the first round at the end of the draft. Right. Goes 16th overall, and he's the number one quarterback taken by the Buffalo Bills. So it was an incredible opportunity. Um, it really helped my career because all of a sudden the phone started ringing and people wanted to train. Now, I was getting a, I was getting a good following in high school, but it really helped for things to take off. And, not to cut and you, then it started kind of – go to, ahead. Not to cut you off, but um... – Take me back to take the the listeners back to that moment. You know when you're working, uh, you worked with EJ and and he goes on this you know historic rise um, in in terms of his draft position. Talk to me like emotionally. You know what was your sense and your feeling when he when you saw him drafted and to, you know to have worked with him. So obviously the two of you had gotten to be close during that time and just take me through the the emotions of what it felt like when he was drafted. Yeah, it was an awesome experience because, I mean, look, I, I didn't expect to get a Hallmark card from him, you know, and, and, a, and a bouquet of flowers. 
but I don't think sometimes these kids know what, like, you put into it, because I didn't have this growing up. And if I would have had this, like, I feel like I would have played 10 years in the NFL. Just somebody really teaching me the game, right? I don't need, I didn't need all the mechanics training. I mean, I did, but I needed more somebody to mentor me and help me, because I didn't understand the game. Like, nobody ever really taught it to me. And we didn't, like I said, we didn't have the resources, like, YouTube. I mean, when I went to NFL Europe, I had a star tag. And if anybody doesn't know what a star tag phone is, it's a flip phone that you couldn't even, like, I don't even know if you could really text on it, but you certainly couldn't get the internet on it. So that's like, I mean, I'm not you know, that old, but, like, we didn't have the resources. Right. So working with EJ, I was still working for a custom homes company. So what I would do is I convinced them, because I had a good relationship, I was a hard worker, I convinced them to let me leave Naples, Florida, at 3.30 in the afternoon or 3 o'clock in the afternoon to go work with EJ a lot of times, three days a week. And the other days I would work something out. So I was going over three, four days a week. Picture driving over 150 miles a day, right? Because I would have to come back home or I would stay overnight or I would come back home because I had to go to work the next day. So I'm in work at 7 o'clock in the morning building a custom home on the job all day that you're leaving to get over to the other coast of Florida, you're driving across Alligator Alley, which is a 100-mile stretch of just nothing but boringness, and you're doing this all saying, I'm getting paid like four to $5,000 for nine weeks, right? Because this is my first guy. Right. So I'm really losing money because I'm spending it in gas. But I'm saying to myself, I'm, I'm doing this because I want to build a resume. I want to I wanna just try it, right? It wasn't about hitting a home run and making a million dollars. Right. And the amount of time that you put in and on the road and the stress that it puts like your family through is really tough. And then all of a sudden on that draft night when they called his name and my phone is absolutely just blowing up. Okay. And since then I had upgraded from a StarTac to, a, <laughs> to an iPhone. Right. It was an incredible feeling to see because you're like with somebody and it's that team effort that you've accomplished something. Now, EJ did the work. He's the player. He should get all the credit. But the people that behind the scenes that put all that time and energy and effort into, like, you know, the sacrifice that you put into, and like I said, the guys don't see it. You know, you don't expect them to come back and, like I said, send you a card and a bouquet of flowers. But you know what you put into so much time, and it's so fulfilling, and it just kind of fueled that passion to say, Hey, I, I want to go do this. Like, I want to I want to take it another level. I want to go train the next set of guys. I want to give back to these guys. And uh, ever since, it was just kind of snowballed from there, and it was incredible opportunities ahead. And it, it kind of confirmed everything you were doing. Um, you know, there's there's some real substance behind what you were building. Um, so I'm sure it had to be so rewarding from that aspect. And it kind of from that moment on, you know, uh, talk about how the academy has developed and, you know, uh, a couple of stories that, you know, players that, you know, maybe some people don't know as well as others, you know, not necessarily the biggest names that you've worked with, but some of your 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 success stories that you're, you know, almost have the uh, the most positive experience with to, to really seen the growth and development of any of the uh, the individual player. Yeah, I think the most, the one that was the most fulfilling for me, and I, and let me tell you, I've got five guys this year, four of them I believe are going to get drafted, that it's the best year that I've worked with a group of guys that there's just no egos, they are awesome to work with, they're all-stars, 
I mean, I've got Trace McSorley from Penn State, who's the all-time winningest quarterback in Penn State history. I've got Gardner Minshew set the Pac-12 record. And Gardner and I started when he was an outcast in East Carolina. And to see and, and him to come back and tell me, you have made my arm so much stronger and helped me to this point is really a cool thing. I mean, just because I said I- I'm giving you everything I got, but the most fulfilling year for me was a year that I had trained a quarterback from sophomore year of high school, and it was so cool to see because a kid named Jake Brudock, who's just signed with the Dolphins, he's into his fourth year in the NFL, right. and he was at St. Thomas Aquinas, and he was competing against a quarterback that had an offer from Stanford, transferred in. His dad played his dad played for the Dolphins, was a tight end, and um, I'll never forget the phone call that they wanted me to train that quarterback. And I can say it now, they wanted me to train him for free. And the dad, whether it's throwing him under the bus or not, I don't care, it's years later. But the dad said, hey, he's going to have an opportunity one day to play at the highest level and you can put your name on it. And I stuck to my principles, my morals, and I said, I'm not going to do this for free. I'm going to charge you, but if you don't want to pay, I'm going to go train the other guy. So I trained the other guy, and I and, and it was Jake Rudock. He ended up winning the job that year and was a two-year starter at St. Thomas, went on, played at Iowa, played at Michigan, and um, then to see him get an opportunity to play at the NFL when he didn't even get invited to the NFL Combine. Right. Okay, and that year I had five guys get drafted. And in an era where, like, you're lucky to get one guy drafted, much less five, I mean, there's guys that have had two guys drafted, but nobody's ever had five guys in one year that they've worked with to get drafted and not lose those five guys because you're balancing a lot of time right. between five guys. So I had Jacoby Brissett get drafted by the, by the uh, New England Patriots from NC State. Mm-hmm. I had Jake Rudock get drafted by the Detroit Lions. Brandon Allen get drafted by the Jacksonville Jaguars. Jeff Driscoll get drafted by the Cincinnati Bengals. And then uh, Brandon Dowdy get drafted by the Miami Dolphins. Now, these were guys like Jeff Driscoll was basically booted from Florida and went to Louisiana Tech. Since then, he started for the Cincinnati Bengals. So it's awesome to get these guys, and then they come back to you in the offseason every year to train with you. And that's when I think you start realizing, okay, I think I know what I'm talking about, and I'm doing these guys justice and right because they're coming back to you. They're working with you. They're getting better. And uh, then you're saying, wow, I'm, I'm really trying to take this to the next level. I'm, I'm surrounding myself. And that's been, like, the really special part. And like I said, 23 guys, I think it was, that I've had in the NFL draft that I've worked with. Um, it's just really um, it's just really kind of a cool accomplishment that I don't sit back and kind of pat myself on the back. It's just kind of who can I help next that really wants to take their game to the next level mentally and physically. Absolutely. Hey, what do you think are some of the reasons, uh, Kenny, that you really resonate with these players? And, um, you know, because like you said, it becomes so competitive that someone might work with a, an academy and then that person might, you know, skirt to the, the next one at another period of time. Or you actually have these guys coming back or, you know, working with you even once they get to the top level. But what do you think are some of the things that really have you made you such an effective teacher and coach? Well, I think number one, you gotta have a passion for the game. Like you gotta love the game. You can't do this with the hopes of just being, um, like on TV or just wanting to get your name in the news press. Because if you do, that stuff fizzles out. You have to have substance. 
I mean, it's like any business. If there's not principles and values and substance and you're not trying to evolve every year, you're going to fizzle out. I think there's a lot of guys that have. They've been kind of a flash in the pan. Um, but I think what's really helped me is, you know, I played the position. I don't think necessarily you have to be successful at the position. I think you have to have a willingness because, like, look at Bill, look at Belichick. I mean, look at guys that weren't very great at their sport, but they're better coaches. I think you have to be humble. I think you have to be willing to be open and listen and willing to always learn and take in new information. But you have to be able to adapt to players and you have to be able to understand what they what their needs are and how they learn, how they how to interact with them. You don't need to be their best friend, but you have to know how to push their buttons, how to get the best out of them. How do they learn? And um, I'll tell you, really what took my entire business, my entire coaching to the next level was I was introduced to Tom House. And Tom House, people in the sports world know, is a guy that had spent a number of years as a pitcher in the major leagues. He worked with Nolan Ryan into his golden years of being an an all-star and a Hall of Famer. And Nolan Ryan credits a lot of his success of his career to Tom House. And then Tom House got into football because it's all overhand throwing mechanics. Right. And Tom basically saved Drew Brees' career. He's done wonders for Tom Brady. He's, I talked to Oliver Luck two weeks ago, uh, who's now heading up the XFL, who's Andrew Luck's dad. Right. He and I had a conversation about Tom House, and he could not speak anything but wonders about him. He said he saved Andrew's career, and it's a big part of his career. So I've been able to coach with Tom. I've been able to learn from Tom. And I've, not only have I learned about the science of the quarterback position in terms of throwing, not decision-making. He doesn't care about film, study, any of that. But I have learned so much in the past three years. It has, it has taught me, and I have seen, I've been able to put real numbers to players in measurements and seen just revolutionary changes that, I mean, it's just taking the mental side of the game and combining it with the physical and the science and then what you learned as a player, I I just feel like the, the sky's the limit for certain guys that really want to learn and put the work in. Absolutely. And as we uh, start to come to a, a close on, um, you know, this this uh, episode, uh, Kenny, one of the questions, you know, this being the Fueled by Passion podcast that I always like to ask of every guest that comes on is just a simple one. What is it that fuels your passion? Uh, I think it's just really boils down to, like, you don't have this when you were growing up. We had the financial means to do this. My dad did. But the resources weren't there. And then to be able to give back to people that really want to do this, that want to play, that want to get better, you have the keys to help them be successful. You have the resources. You, you, I've done this long enough that I can connect them with guys that have been first-round fans. I mean, Brady Quinn, who comes and has dinner with the quarterbacks, and um, Bill Parcells that comes and talks to our quarterbacks, and Tom House that flies in to work with our guys. And that's what kind of fuels my passion is to give these guys every opportunity that I never had to show them that they have not even scratched the surface of their ultimate potential and that's what really what i want to do for everybody that's willing to just be open to it that's incredible and um before we uh close out uh ken let everybody know uh how they can 
you know, if they were looking for more information about your academy or if they anything on social media that you want to, any form of contact that um, you'd want to put out there for any of the listeners who might be interested in keeping up with you. Yeah, definitely. I mean, on the website, passingcamp.com, you check out the schedule. They can read up on us a little bit. I just was really fortunate. Just got a great article in Sports Illustrated that talked more in depth. Uh, if you look from Andy Staples, who wrote the article, and came down and shadowed me for, for a day uh, just to see what we do with the quarterbacks in terms of bringing, like, science, the mental side of the game, and obviously the physical side of the game. Uh, and how we're improving these quarterbacks and how we're evolving with quarterback training and development. And it's great for kids anywhere from the ages of 10 all the way up through the professional level, but something they can read up and help help them take the next step in their in this game. Absolutely. It was an incredible article, too. I'll make sure that um, we post it on all our channels for people to, to read on as well. But definitely uh, check out PassingCamp.com and, uh, to see what's going on uh, with Mastroli Passing. And um, as we close out here, finally, uh, Kenny, just want to thank you for sharing a little bit of time with us to, on today's podcast episode. And um, one last opportunity, any closing message you have for the people out there? No, just anybody that's passionate about what they're doing, regardless of business, football, anything in life. I think you just got to – you can't get frustrated. A lot of people today's day, they want instant success. They want things to happen for them now. It's a journey. And if you just fall in love with the process, regardless of its business, you got to have a lot of failures. And if you're going to fail, fail fast and just get back up again. And like I said, things will work out. Things will take off for you. But it may not be that first step that you take. It may be a mile down the road that you're you're reaching the success that you wanted. Absolutely. And, I, and for everyone who's listened to this uh, podcast episode and seen the, the twists, the turns, and the various things that uh, Kim Mastroli went through, to get where he is today and i think um you can tell that each of those situations were implemental in where he is today although at the time might have been hard to understand but i think the message that he just gave you know fits kind of perfectly with that so we'll uh we'll finish up today um came one last time just want to thank you for sharing uh, the time and telling your story uh with with my, with me and all the listeners here today uh, my name is John Archibald. This is the Fuel by Passion podcast. Uh, follow me on social media at Res Sports. You can keep up with Resolution Promotions at respromos.com. And the social media for Resolution Promotions is at Res Promos. Appreciate it, everybody. Catch you on the flip side.